This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of the United States versus Billie Holiday. Don't you know who this is? She was thinking of something more special. I'm downright flashy, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Billie Holiday. Reporters keep asking me, really, why you do the things you do? This is what I tell them. I love me. We love you. When I take off. NAACP says Billie Holiday is the voice of our people. I think we should integrate the audience for this show. Let's change it up a little bit. You know, blacks and whites sitting together. What you're getting yourself into when you decide to come on the road. Get out my goddamn clothes. I'm gonna take everything except your bra and your man. <laughs> Which one of my songs is your favorite song? Strange Fruit. Yeah, it's a song about important things, you know. Things that are going on in the country. This holiday woman's causing a lot of people to think the wrong things. It's a starting gun for this so-called civil rights movement. Those lyrics provoke people. Y'all got a plan? She's a drug addict. Exactly. I cut strange fruit. I want to sing the damn song. It's for your own good, okay? I sing it the fuck I want. Silent trees. Get her off that stage. They're strange fruit. They won't let me sing nowhere. No clubs, no money, no nothing. You gotta understand, baby. Right now, I'm in a situation. Would you say we could beat this, Billy? I need some now. Blood on the leaves. You're like a hammer. Come right back and it hit harder than before. And He's singing it for all of us. <laughs> Ain't no other Negro star bold enough to do it. Black bodies swinging. I'm being followed. I'm not gonna count in no fizz. In the southern breeze. She's made something of herself, and you can't take it because she's strong, beautiful, and black. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. You think I'm gonna stop singing that song? Your grandkids will be singing Strange Fruit. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The United States versus Billie Holiday, and the story is as follows. The Federal Bureau of Narcotics launches an undercover sting operation against jazz singer Billie Holiday. The film is starring Andre Day, Trevante Rhodes, Natasha Lyonne, and Garrett Hedlund. It is directed by Lee Daniels and written by Suzanne Laurie Parks. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parm. Hello, hello. Dan Baer. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Lots of gowns and crossfades, too. And also joining us as a guest here today, we have from Cup of Soul show, Kafia Woods. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Very, very happy to have you here with us today to discuss this movie. Um, I know that with this film in particular, this is um, the last awards contender of the 2020 quasi-2021 Oscar race season, whatever you want to call it. And it's had a lot of anticipation ever since it was first announced. Andre Day, of course, a Grammy-nominated uh, singer, making her acting debut here in a feature film for Lee Daniels, who everyone knows here, uh, directed Precious, received an Oscar nomination. And since then, a little bit of a questionable career, to say the least. So a lot of us were kind of waiting for this one, wondering, oh, is it going to be as good as Precious? Is it going to be like some of his other misfires? What's going to happen here? Well, here we are, United States versus Billie Holiday. Kafia, you're the guest on the show. I would like to start off with you in terms of general thoughts. What did you ultimately think of this movie? Well, just to say, Lee's been busy doing TV. He had two hit TV shows. So that, that is true. That is a good two, point. He had, he had two hit TV shows and... Um, Empire and um, Star. Yeah, Empire was huge. Yeah, so um, okay, I didn't. I look at this movie in two parts. There is the Andre Day piece, and then there is like the rest of it, right? Yeah. And um, for me, hands down, and I've been really passionate about it and very uh, advocating for her. She is what makes what saves this movie, right? We the other stuff is is the timeline is hard to follow because it's not very clear, and uh, there are some some of the other players that were around her that weren't clearly defined and that needed to be um, improved. You know, especially in terms of relationships. Uh, but you stay for her. What she did in this film is just out of this world. You know, she. In my opinion, I mean, I like Lady Sings the Blues, but it's not a true for me, like, knowing what I know about Billie Holiday. She looks the closest to Billie Holiday. She sounds the closest to Billie Holiday. And I think the transformation that she undertook is just phenomenal. She sings in a register. First of all, she sings all the music, which is super important. Uh, she sings in a register that's not her. So if you listen to her recordings and you listen to music on this, it's two different registers. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she got her mannerism down really well. Uh, kudos to the hair and makeup department who really, you know, put their final touches in to have her come into the character. So for me, she saves the movie, you know, and, and the other stuff is, like I said, is it's it's problematic, but she's... And she's the reason why she's getting nominated. Only her, as it should be, you know. But that's how I feel about the film. Sure, sure. And I don't think you're alone in that stance either. Let's find out. Josh Parham, what did you think of the United States versus Billie Holiday? So my feelings about this movie are... Um, I kind of hate it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have not seen Shadow Boxer, but I actually think that this might be the worst Lee Daniels movie, to be honest. Um, I do think, though, that Andre Day is very good in the movie. I can't agree with that. I think that she does give a really great performance here, and you can tell the dedication that she's putting in, and you can see this transformation on many different levels, not just physical. It really does seem like a full-bodied, emotional performance that she's giving, and I did appreciate that, certainly, but I think 
the totality of everything around her was very problematic for me. I think that Lee Daniels as a filmmaker is very messy and disorganized, and I usually have issues with him as a storyteller, and most of that is present here. I did find the story to be really hard to get into because it is so scattered and it never built up momentum in a satisfying way. And most of the supporting characters are really ill-defined and not well-written. And yeah, I, I did not really like this movie. I admit that there's a really great central performance here, but I don't think it does quite enough to compensate for all the other misfires that happened throughout the rest of the movie. Did you give it a one point bump for shirtless Trevante Rhodes? That's all I want to know. <laughs> it helped. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Dan Bear, what about you? Um, yeah, similarly to Josh, I considered raising my grade just for shirtless Trevante Rhodes. But honestly, <laughs> for the first half of the movie, it can't even do that right. I really like some of Lee Daniels' movies, and I think Susan Laurie Parks is a brilliant, brilliant playwright. Um, Top Dog Underdog and The America Play are just two of the best American plays ever written. And this does not feel like she wrote it at all. It feels like it is some watered-down mainstream studio bullshit. And there was just one sequence where I felt like it really got to the potential of what a movie about Billie Holiday during this time period written by Susan Laurie Parks and directed by Lee Daniels could be. And that sequence felt completely disconnected from everything else that was happening in the movie, literally like it dropped in from a whole other alternate universe and is leagues better than anything else happening. I, my issue, my main issue with this film is that it is a whole lot of style over substance. And I don't always have a problem with style over substance, but when I do, it's because there is no unifying idea behind that style. And that is definitely the case here. It is a whole lot of style without much meaning behind it i the first time we transitioned from one scene to another with that film fade crossfade i don't even know how to like i i i freaked out and shouted what the fuck at my tv (laughs) because like really what the fuck are you doing lee daniels just just to be clear there are 13 crossfade edits within the first five minutes Uh, i counted i can't (laughs) i and the thing is is that like it's still the film mostly looks beautiful you can tell that this was shot on film and I appreciate that so much. And the cinematography, the lighting is really good. And the costumes, production design look great. But it's all in service of just a, I'm, it hurts me to say, a terrible script. Do you know what this is? I saw this uh, said on Twitter, and I don't remember who said it. But I, once I saw this, it just like became so clear to me. This will be the go-to answer from now on when people ask the question, what is a great performance in a bad movie? And I really feel that way about United States versus Billie Holiday, where I echo everything that Kafia and everyone else has said here. Andre Day is phenomenal 
in this movie. I mean, had the movie around her been just a little bit better, I think we would be potentially talking about her winning uh, the major awards this season. Right now, I think she's heavily in contention for a nomination because the work is just that good. And for all the reasons that Kafia brought up before, the mannerisms, uh, the singing, the emotional depth that she has to go through in order to capture Billie Holiday at both her highest and lowest moments. And she's also just like so fiery and vibrant. And a lot of that, I think, is aided by the cinematography, Dan, because the cinematography in this is brightly lit, very color uh, accentuated and there is kind of like this glow this aura around her that almost makes her like a mythological figure almost one that just like kind of commands our adoration and respect and I, I think the movie as a result of that like highlights her in a very good way even if you know she is seen to be uh, flawed and not necessarily uh, perfect and I think that that gives Andre Day a lot of range to be able to give us a performance that has layers of complexity and, you know, <laughs> at, at, at over two hours long, it's kind of the full package in terms of what you want from an awards baity performance. Just I echo everything else that everyone else said. Uh, the, the structure of the film is incredibly messy. They have this narrative framing device where Billie Holiday is being uh, interviewed uh, and they kind of cut back to that just a few times. And I I started thinking to myself, like, okay, we're not really doing the traditional biopic structure where it's like birth until death. Instead, they're using this narrative framing device, and then they're covering a very particular period in her life, which I was fine with. But then once we get to, like, the second act, I don't know if you guys experience this as well. But like when she's in the courtroom and she gets sentenced to jail, I looked at my watch and I was like, holy shit, it's only been 40 minutes. How much time do we have left? And the second and third act just, in my opinion, went almost absolutely nowhere. Yeah, I yeah, I find it really hard to disagree with that, actually. Um, <laughs> they, there came point when she was in the courtroom and I was like, oh, this only been going on for half an hour, 45 minutes. Like what, what is the rest of the movie? And then I realized, remembered that, you know, she got called to court again and there's a whole other story going on here, but like, it really does feel like it presents itself as one story and then tells a completely different story. Yeah. Now I would say it didn't feel like that to me because I knew what he was centering on. Mm-hmm. You know, we're having a year where people go into films with an ideology of what they think it should be versus what it is. You know what I That's mean? That's true. Yeah. We had that with Judith. We had that with Soul. And I'm like, just watch the movie. Like, stop. Yeah. Oh, and like, go in and be open to the experience, whatever it is. And this is why sometimes trailers are 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 not a good aid. You know what I mean? Because people have these mm-hmm. preconceived notions. And and also you have this other film, which isn't which is an iconic film. But if you break the other thing down, you're like, well, it really like knowing the backstory, like "Mm, she really didn't fit who this woman was in real life. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, it was more like, you know, not necessarily the timing. It's her relationships. uh, Tyler James Williams, who played Lester Young. Right. Mm -hmm. 
they had a very, they had a musical relationship for a very long time. That to me wasn't fully flushed out. He was looked more like a sidekick mm. and their relationship in real life was much stronger than that. And he needed to, um, he needed to do that. I have problems with Susan Laurie Parks after Native Son, which I hate it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, re I remember being at Sundance uh, actually with you for that one, Kefi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, so so why I think she's a good playwright. That doesn't make her good screen. Uh, doesn't yeah. mean that she can write for the screen. And I felt as though I'm like, if something works, like the book works, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And and, and I really, I, I mean, I hated that movie way more than I disliked this. I was ready to be like, oh, if this is how Sundance is going to be, it's going to be a long <laughs> week. But, you know, luckily it wasn't. But the point is, I think with this, like, you know, you know some of the players. I think um, Rosalind, played by Davine, Roy Randolph, again, it, it, the issues with the film, these relationships are not... Um, established is clear you know what I mean and also how Trevante was introduced with him being a, a black FBI agent like we needed to a lot of people didn't know that there were black FBI agents during that time you know what I mean yep. so that needed to be not necessarily like a history lesson but it needed to be smoothed out a little bit so that people understand okay this wasn't done for artistic license this really did exist so I think in that way, I feel like Lee needed to explain that. I know that I don't necessarily like Lee Daniels to me, like Ryan Murphy, you either love his stuff or you don't. I actually yeah. like Shadow Boxer a lot. I think it's a really good film. Uh, but I think, you know, and I also feel like one thing I do admire about Lee is he does what he wants to do. He doesn't really worry about what other people feel, think, you know what I mean? Whether, you know, a lot of times he does miss, but at the end of the day, I do respect someone that is like, this is who I am. I'm going to make the art that speaks to me. And if you all get it, you get it. And if you don't, I'm still going to do me. And I think Lee is definitely um, that type of guy, you know what I mean? But I do think, again, for me, it was, I was in for her. I wanted to yeah. see how she was going to take this iconic, troubled, um, person you know what i mean who had a hard life you know what i mean i would mm -hmm. have liked to have seen some moments of joy because it is kind of like oh jesus poor woman like can she get is there anything of you know did she have any fun and i think this is how you tighten up the relationship between her and lester then making music you would have seen that that joy i think the part that i would have liked to have seen more again was her working on her art yeah i agree with that because also too you mentioned some of the uh supporting relationships that she has in this movie and i i felt like prior to watching the movie there was a lot of expectation and buzz and i know that you mentioned this before kathy which is like we kind of pre-build our own narratives for what we think a film is going to be and like the inclusion of natasha leone in this movie and her character's relationship with Billie Holiday, I think that there was this expectation that that was going to be a little bit more central to the plot. And what's interesting is, like, she's not the only example of this. I do feel like Divine Joy Randolph wasn't given, honestly, enough material. I also agree that 
Travante Rhodes' backstory and establishment as a character in this era is kind of messy and not well established. Garrett Hedlund is just conventional bad guy twirling mustache 101 with really not much to do. And it's like, man, you have this cast of all these really good actors and thank God Andrew Day can, you know, hold the movie together on her own. But how do you how do you fumble uh, that many talented actors like this? Honestly, like, where is the movie about Divine Joy Randolph's character in this film? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. do not know anything about her. But the second she walked in with that eye patch and that, you know, mug, <laughs> I was like, who is this woman? And she has such a personality to her, um, such a presence about her. And I wanted more of her and want to know who she was and what her relationship was. And the movie doesn't really go into um, any of Billie Holiday's relationships with anyone other than the, you know, her husband's and Trevante Rhodes. And like, you know, with a side hello from Tallulah Bankhead. Um, And I... That in order to fully understand her downfall and how everyone is reacting to it, like there's a scene late in the film, or maybe it's midpoint, I don't know, time is relative, um, where she's, you know, she's been supposedly healthy and off the stuff and she's performing and she's all happy again. And then suddenly all of them are doing drugs together. And I was like, wait. What? I thought they were all trying to get her off of this. Well, okay. The way I read that is, and I agree with you, it was it was messy how yeah. they did that. But I understand. I'm like, okay, I think what he was trying to say, and I'm assuming, so forgive me. Because <laughs> heroin was so prominent in jazz from mm-hmm. like the 30s all the way up. Who I want to say the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, from like that era to Miles and Coltrane, that that was something that people did in the jazz circle. It was understood, people knew, but people still did it for whatever reason to cope with pain, to think that they were going to be artistically more enhanced, you know, all of those things. However, that needed to be. Uh, again, introduced a little more smoothly, and that is on Suzanne. That's not on Lee. That's on Suzanne having to kind of like think out the box and be like, okay, if you are not a jazz fan and you are not familiar with this history piece, how do I convey that so it makes sense for the novice viewer in this piece? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I think she... No, I know. She kind of wrote this with the assumption that everybody knew these things, yeah. you know, and that's that's not true. You know, like you shouldn't have to have watched A&E in order to understand this or read the book. So I think, again, I mean, I think a lot of people are putting cer- certain things are Lee's fault, but this type of stuff is all on Suzanne. Yeah, the only thing I put on Lee mostly is pacing and momentum in the storytelling. Uh, Because as I said before, I felt like the first act was going exactly as I expected it would. Uh, You know, we have our title card sequence, our narrative structure set up, and we have then the flashbacks. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching this. I'm saying to myself, okay, 
A lot of crossfade editing transitions, but maybe that's just going to happen now in this like first sequence for whatever reason. Uh, great gowns, as Dan said. Cinematography is very lovely and appeasing. Andre Day looks great. I was on board with the movie in the beginning. I was like, OK, like this is not going to be, you know, a best picture movie, but maybe it'll be something like, I don't know, like Judy last year, you know, where it's just an OK movie. Uh, but then it's like all of a sudden when we got to like the second act, I just got this sense that all of a sudden this story kind of lost its momentum and it was kind of aimless then in terms of building uh, a groundswell to a climax. Instead, it just felt like there were a lot of scenes that didn't need to be there uh, because it, it it really didn't feel like it was in service to either the story or the characters at times. And I and I've seen the movie twice because I wanted to be like very, very certain of that. Uh, but I just feel like the second act could have been trimmed down considerably. And maybe it's because she is such a legendary figure. Uh, Lee felt it was super important to leave a lot of stuff in to kind of give her this grand movie that was benefiting of her legacy. But I, I really do believe that I really I just I, I and I hear you. He is an artist with a very singular vision and he does whatever he wants, which you know what? Hey. Good for him. I'm very, very happy if he's happy with the finished product, but that doesn't mean the rest of us necessarily have to be. <laughs> I do agree that a lot of like the main issues of this movie are definitely in its script, which does provide that very messy structure and underwritten supporting cast. But I also think that Lee Daniels, he treats this material with not I don't really feel like a ton of energy to it either. And I think that contributes to the kind of lethargic pace that it has. And even when he's shooting the musical numbers where she's just singing, like even those scenes, I felt so lifeless to me and rather flat. And I think it just carries that throughout the entire movie to me. And while I do admit that a lot of the problems are foundational within the script, I think that the way that he directs this material is sort of lifeless to me at the same time, which I would even say for his other movies, which also tend to have script issues, he still manages to find some energy in the piece, at, at least with the performances and the kind of tone. And I didn't really feel that was present here. It did feel kind of like so dull in much of this movie. There was a period where I felt like the mo I have never seen a movie move so fast but feel so long and not in a way that I felt exhausted but that just like the speed at which it was going in scenes and between scenes was very high but everything still felt sort of long and drawn out like yeah. everything went a, a few beats longer than it had to or it took a few beats longer to arrive at the point of the scene. Um, and I, again, like I, some of that is on Susan Laurie parks, I think, but also that, that the pacing is direct directorial. The pacing didn't bother me that much. I'm going to tell you like, and I'm, I might be in the minority and I'm okay. Once upon a time in America, that movie, I looked at my watch and I was like, seriously, we are not at the finish line. Like, I tapped out in an hour and a half. I was wanted all these people to die and just for me to get out of the theater. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, seriously, you know? And with this, 
I didn't feel it was it was that long. Do you know what I mean? And 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 I I can watch The Last Emperor of China, and that's like really long. But I just again, I think it was the fact that I, and it's also because I know a lot about her. But I also feel like if you, you know, I think it's the jumping around where I was like, okay, this is where we are. Okay, I'm back on track. I know what he's what era he's talking about. So I think that's maybe why it didn't feel that weird to me. You know what I mean? And again, I think for me, I was so focused on her and like, you know, and to the point where I like, after I watched it, I was like, man, I got to listen to her singers herself because, you know, it's also, like I said, is her performance made it not feel so long for me. You know what I mean? But I do again, agree that, we needed to have smoother transitions. We needed to have better introductions, you know, uh, maybe just a, a name and, and, and why this person, why she was sitting down with this interviewer would have helped. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. Um, Dan, I'm really curious to know, mm. what is the scene that you referenced in your opening thoughts? Um, the, the drug trip. Okay. Um, when, uh, Trevante Rhodes's character first hits up with her and they sort of go back to her childhood and, um, her mom and then it, and then it spirals into, and I, was not sure if that scene with the the lynching and the burning cross, I was not sure if that was also a memory of hers or if it was taking place currently. But I I liked that. Yeah, from a stylistic standpoint, I yeah. agree. It was well executed. There was almost no dialogue and it was kind of trippy and is this real or not, but it got at something true about her experience as a person prior to all this trouble that was really moving and it felt like you know that that little bit like that is a really interesting movie and that's where the style is really there there's a purpose to it as opposed to just 
style for style's sake. And I, I really appreciated that segment of the movie but also it feels completely different from everything else that's happening yeah yeah and then it becomes what are we doing what are we doing now and then it does become very like confusing as to when it like because you're right then like i was watching the scene and i looked away for like two seconds and then we were at the lynching scene it's like wait is this still her past did i miss something what what is yeah. happening right now? And it's like one of those things where the idea is really interesting and parts of the execution are also very intriguing, but then it gets like very messy. And suddenly all of the interesting ideas that you're thinking about are kind of being drowned out by the confusing choices that are happening. And then it like completely disorients you until you. it's then hard to appreciate the actual good thing that is happening in this scene. And and what made it worse for me is that the movie is bookended by these title cards that are about strange fruit and lynching. And the movie ain't about strange fruit. Yeah. Strange fruit is very much an ancillary character (laughs) in the course of this movie. And I was like, what you from what you are presenting this movie by these bookends as being about one thing and then giving us a movie that is something else entirely. And please like, by all means, I would love a movie about strange fruit. I mean, it was written by a Jewish man (laughs) made famous by Billie holiday. Like there, there's a lot. That is a really interesting story. Give me a movie about that. But the, (laughs) the movie is more about her relationship with drugs and how the U.S. government kind of fucked her over every way they could. But even at that, like, if, you know, they say that, well, it's be- they do it because she's singing that song and she's causing riots or whatever, but there is literally no evidence of that presented in the movie. So we're not even sure if that was even a legit thing on the part of the government or if they were really bullshitting. And I'm pretty sure every time someone asks her to sing strange fruit in the movie, it's a white person. Uh, And besides the fact, which I, I got really interested in her life while watching this movie. So I was like, looked it up on Wikipedia and according to Wikipedia. So this is, you know, like not potentially untrue, but according to Wikipedia, she did sing strange fruit at that Carnegie hall concert. She did. I mean, okay. I would say that. (laughs) I would say it's the movie. I don't think the movie is about strange. I mean, I don't, this is what I mean. I don't think he ever said that the, I did not see it as the movie being about strange fruit. To me, the movie is about how the FBI in a series of African-Americans that were speaking up for what was going, what was going wrong in this country was using whatever weaknesses various individuals have with Martin Luther King. Obviously, it's him having affairs. Um, and in her case, is her wanting to perform in front of integrated audiences. And in, front, in her case, it was about her singing this song that was talking about what was going on down south. And uh, white newspapers, not black newspapers, were were not reporting, so to say. So for me, like this, the movie is is about her being this flawed human being, but at the same time being like, you know, here I am, this black woman performing in front of all these white people, but they don't see my blackness. They just see this performer, and uh, you know, to 
correct. She did perform Strange Fruit in that in that um, concert. But to answer your question, how did they mess with her? They took away her 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 license. She she wasn't able to perform in New York, and that's why she had to do the Carnegie uh, concert. They wouldn't renew it, and the reason they wouldn't renew it is because the government was behind them you know saying you can't renew it you this is the way that you stop her you take away her ability to make a living you know what i mean and and at the time that was huge because new york was it was a cabaret market so i think in that way they did achieve it uh but again i i think this was about how black performers in her case it happens to be billy holiday speaking out about the ills of this country but Unfortunately, in her case, she had an addiction problem and she needed the cabaret license in order to perform. And that's how they cut her off at the knees. Sure. No, I don't disagree with that. I think the problem is more so that, uh, as mentioned before, like these bookends uh, with the title cards at the at the beginning and end of the movie uh, mentioning the lynching act, uh, which, you know, as of uh, February of last year, still has yet to be passed by United States uh, Senate. And. It's interesting how like it starts with Strange Fruit and the FBI being scared of that song. And like you said, Kefia, trying to find like any reason to get her to not perform it so that this way they don't feel intimidated and threatened by her. Uh, So they'll go after her however they can. And then the movie kind of loses sight of that, like we were saying before, in the second and third act and does become more just about her in general and less so about Strange Fruit. But then, like I said, at the very, very end, then Lee Daniels uses these title cards to kind of bring it back to Strange Fruit again uh, by mentioning uh, the the Emmett Till uh, lynching act. And it's like, uh, I, I once again, I think it's another example of just a story being a little messy and not being as coherent and strong as it could have been. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that. But I do think. Now, it's been a minute since I saw it. I've seen a lot of stuff since. I think there was a moment, and you guys can correct me wrong, where they showed the flag uh, saying they, you know, another person was lynched, and that's outside of either B. Wells' office. And I'm assuming outside of NWCP that was saying, hey, publicly, this is what's going on. You know, this is their way of notating the, the world, you know. But I think overall, it is... The film, again, shows, you know, why she's trying to do this, her personal demons, you know, her difficult relationship with men, um, her trying to navigate in this thing and at the same time make a living. I do agree with, I would have liked to have seen them um, go into it a little bit more where they, you know, there's this face, she has this great success at Carnegie Hall, and she thinks, hey, you know, um, this should be it. I've shown, you know, I've been a good girl. This should let me have my license back. Mm-hmm. And that conversation was not properly had in this film where they're like, you know what? Yes, but you, you know, or what were her options as far as performing? You know what I mean? Like her going on tour, you see, but it's not, again, um, explained how she's able to go on tour, but does she not need a license to go on tour, but she can't perform in New York? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I got most of that with the the cabaret license. I thought that was done relatively well, although like I come from a performing arts background, so I kind of know that stuff anyway. So maybe that was just my own experience speaking there. But I just like when you it felt like they were those title cards just felt like they were reframing this story to be about something that their main text is about. It it's not not about it, but it's not the main point of it. I mean, I also uh, kind of got the sense too that there was like a build up to her singing "Strange Fruit" in the movie. That I I had to like ask myself afterwards, uh, would it have been better for her to sing "Strange Fruit" during the credits after these title cards, or keep it as is the way that they did, where she uh, sings uh, all of May over the credits instead, you know? I really liked the how they used Strange Fruit in the movie at the end of that sort of hallucinatory-ish sequence. Yeah, yeah. And having her do it as a direct address to the audience, even if that's not may not have been how she actually performed it, I thought it was very, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the one strands in this film are when she is singing. Do you know what I mean? Again, I think um, another strength of this movie is hair, makeup, costuming. She was tailored to a T in these dresses. There wasn't anything. The hair was to perfection. The way they placed the gardenia on her to perfection. Do you know what I mean? Eyebrows, Mm -hmm. all of that. That team deserves all of the kudos because you know yes she is her complexion is fair enough and she got the voice and all that but that all of that framed the character from head to toe yeah the look was flawless and like you know you would hope that in a movie about Billie Holiday they have you know they get the look right and the look was very very right it was gorgeous yeah I mean again um I was very uh, I don't know if enough people have spoken to the costume designer. Oh, we we did. Yeah, and I just wanted to know more about, um, you know, she is more petite than Billy was. Billy was more of a curvier woman. Um, but I do, like, if you look at the pictures, very, very, like, 100%. Um, got it right. And also she had different stages, like Audrey talked about, um, that she cut her hair short in order to have that, that last section of the film mm-hmm. because, you know, she was sick and, you know, she was going through something with her hair in real life. So she made the commitment to cut her hair. Yeah. No, I, I, I thought the makeup work on her in the third act was actually, you know, pretty, pretty great. Uh, she really, really did look sick to me. <laughs> uh, so I thought, I thought that that was uh, really well done. And, you know, on a craft level, I was a little I, I was a little mixed at first because I wasn't really sure if I liked the cinematography. I, I eventually settled on that I did like it because that kind of a uh, look felt very soap opera ish to me at times. But I, I, I eventually settled on the positive territory there. Costumes, I think, are the best technical element of this movie. I really, really liked all the costumes that she wore uh, throughout and 
I think it really, really helped the color scheme of the movie because, like I said earlier, this movie really does deal in saturated colors very well, especially reds, yellows, greens. They just really pop very, very nicely here. Uh, But as we mentioned before, editing, (laughs) big problems with the editing. Uh, The music score, pretty generic all around. Makeup, Makeup and hair is pretty damn good. Too, I I have to admit, I really, really thought that the makeup and hairstyling uh, was excellent. And I'm kind of surprised that it did not get shortlisted this year for the uh, for the Oscar 10. But, you know, hey, that sort of thing happens from time to time. So what I want to do now, though, is I want to pass it over to final thoughts on United States versus Billie Holiday. Anything that we did not mention that you want to give a shout out to or reiterate, uh, Josh Parham, I'll pass it over to you first. Uh, Well, there is so many things I don't like about this movie, but I guess I will end at least on some of the positives. One is that we did talk about Divine Joy Randolph. I also really liked Miss Lawrence as Miss Freddy. I thought those two were the ones who were able to bring a lot in their performances to those characters, which were severely underwritten. And I found that every one of the supporting characters was severely underwritten. But those two, whenever they came on screen, I was just like, ready and into it and that was almost all due to their performances i really did think that both of them did a pretty good job in the film and the other thing that i wanted to mention is the one scene that i think actually is my favorite scene in the movie and that is the elevator scene between billy holiday and salula bankhead I actually mm-hmm. really, really love that scene because, for one, it's actually working on something a little bit more subtle, which Lee Daniels, not a subtle filmmaker, so that's it's always appreciated when that shows up in his films. And I like that it was this dialogue of how deep racism just really penetrates society, and you have this conversation between um, Billie Holiday and this guy on the elevator, and he just refuses to let her on, and it's an, a black man. And it's really showcasing that even though these are two people that probably have, you know, they are very different in terms of their kind of wealth or status in the world. When it comes down to it on these very basic, like racial divisions, they're on the same side. And it doesn't matter that Billie Holiday is this famous singer who's very wealthy and independent on her own. She is still shackled by the same conventions that, this uh, this guy in the elevator is. And I found that to be such an intriguing commentary that is, like I said, is a little bit more on the subtle side, and we usually don't get that in Lee Daniels' movies. So that was the one scene where I was, like, really, really appreciative of the storytelling that was happening. I also really like how that scene uh, kind of helps a little bit of context for what's going on with Trevante Rose's character as well, as someone who, d- due to the nature of his job in a world that is built on this systemic racism is having to go against morals that he, you know, holds internally within himself. And it does present a little bit of complexity there in uh, the dialogue and such. And I I agree with you, Josh. I'm glad that you brought that scene up because I particularly also really like that scene. And I wish that the movie had more like it. Dan Bear, what about you? Speaking to Josh's point, I also really liked that scene. Um, and it was getting at something I think much more interesting than the rest of the movie was. I think Andre Day is really, really good. Um, but the movie as a whole is not it's nowhere near her level. It does not deserve what she's putting out there, frankly. 
and it makes me a little sad. <laughs> Kafia, what about you? Again, I am really rooting for her because, in my opinion, she gives the best actress performance of the year because she put the most work in and it's top to bottom. And I know a lot of people and in, in saying, well, the film is flawed. And my case is like Emma Stone is running out here with an Oscar in a movie where she couldn't sing and dance. So if we're really going to be specifics, uh, you know, all is not fair. So yeah. I think if we, it is called best actress, not best film. And if we're giving contention, who gave the best performance, who had to overcome the most, it's her. So for me, um, she's worth watching it. She's worth watching her transform. And yes, it's 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 rough at times, but you know, I have seen worse, way worse. I think we've all seen worse for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. I think Audra has a acting career if she wants to do that i know this this role was very taxing for her i know she's like it took her a while to let billy go and she still feels like she's holding on to parts of her but that is the takeaway from the film you have a new woman first time actress giving an out of this world performance that's the the positive on this film yeah what grade would you give it out of 10 i would give it a six and it's all because of her Okay. All right. Dan, what about you? Um, I am at a four. Okay. Yeah. All right. Josh? I am at a three out of ten. I like there are some good things about it, but man, the totality of what I don't like about it just weighed a lot of this movie down for me. I was originally at a three out of 10 and I bumped it to a four because I really do think that Andrew Day is that good in this movie. I mean, oh, we're going to get into the Oscar talk now. And I think that what Kathy has said a moment ago, I really think that we've seen, especially in uh, recent years, we have seen best actress contenders can get nominated um, even if they're like the sole nomination for their film, if the movie around them isn't as great as the performance that is being given. I mean, hell, I mean, she wasn't the only nomination last year, but we saw it last year with Renee Zellweger and Judy. Glenn Close could do it with the wife, um, Cynthia Riva with Harriet. So I, I, you know, I was thinking about this so much and I know that she only has Critics Choice and Golden Globe right now and there's no chance of her getting the BAFTA nomination because she's not long listed there. But there is a part of me that really does think that she's going to get the Oscar nomination for this. It, it just kind of checks off so many boxes in terms of the types of performances that they go for. And she should. And here's the thing is. The Golden Globes are not is, is one area that runs in her favor because it likes singers. Yes, they love stars. And, mm -hmm. and Gaga won, Madonna won for Evita, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And this is way better than what Madonna did in Evita. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? I, mean I love Madonna, but Madonna did not have the vocal range to sing these songs. Like, let's keep it 1,000. Yeah. And again, we and, 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 and Renee didn't sing in Judy. That wasn't her, you know what I mean? So we, again, like I said, is my best example always is, is Emma Stone. Emma Stone has an Oscar that belongs to someone else. 
And I think if we really, if she really examined it, she would understand. I mean, she's going to keep it, but I think she would know that movie is, I do not understand why people like that movie. I do not like that movie for various reasons, but the main one is like, you all hired somebody that can't sing and dance and the campaign was so well constructed that it actually um, made other people believe that she can sing and dance. And here you have someone who has that talent. And I think also the Academy is under the gun, right? It's been 20 years since a black woman has won an Academy Award. There's only been one. There have been numerous amount of performances. This year, there have been so many that it's inexcusable to say, uh, and I think especially now with everything coming out with the, with the Hollywood Foreign Press, stuff that we already knew, we were in a hard political climate last year. There are a lot of things that are moving in her favor. And again, the Academy cannot afford to have, you know, um, another fiasco where a new hashtag comes out or the, the old one gets rehabbed. And I think there's room this year. There's zero excuse why there wouldn't be, shouldn't be two women in that black women in that final five. And it would be really great if we had another one win. Because, the, the, I mean, I keep saying this, what the hell does a black woman have to do in order to win an Academy Award? Because giving a, clearly giving an outstanding performance doesn't seem to be enough. No, and it rarely is if you look at the history of the Oscars in general. I mean, Kafia, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this uh, off off Twitter and, and, you know, private messages and such. You know, we both know that there's always other factors at play outside of just a performance. And, you know, people will look for excuses left and right to champion their favorites and such. And, you know, in, in terms of her winning, I don't want to go there quite yet, only because, you know, we don't know what the nominations are, obviously. But if we're just sticking with potential nominations for this movie, I feel very, very good about her than I yeah. did uh, than I did previously and even with the reviews coming out and the reviews being mixed I, I will i will you know say they're mixed on this i won't say that they're negative um i i think that she is in a better position than i previously thought that she would be uh because she is rising above the film's flaws and you know what if Amy Adams can be in contention for Best Actress for Hillbilly Elegy, which has worse reviews than United States versus <laughs> Billie Holiday, then, you know, I think Andrew Day can also be in that conversation as well. But outside of her, Josh, having seen the movie now, what do you think could also possibly score a nomination? Do you Are you predicting anything else at this time? I really kind of feel like it's going to just be her. I think the only other thing I can maybe see is the costumes that might happen. But it seems like we've also got a lot of movies that are sort of very traditional best costume nominees in contention this year. And I feel like it's not good. I feel like it's going to get squeezed out of that category. And since we already know that it didn't make the short list for like makeup or for song or some of the other places, like I feel like right now it's best shot is going to just be Andrew day. And I feel like that's going to be it for the movie in terms of its nomination hall. What do you think, Dan? Um, there's a lot to, to talk about here. Um, but mostly I agree with Josh. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, but I think, 
she it's just going to be her. I don't I think that the movie's late release hurt it a lot on the Oscar front. If if we're, you know, getting down to brass tacks. Yeah, because I believe that whenever you're a late release, your reviews need to be enthusiastic. Like you mm-hmm. need to have a last minute late surge of passion in order to make a serious dent. And this movie does not have that. Um, it's got a minority of people who are vocal in their passion for it, but not a majority. And I I I, I am leaning I go back and forth on the costumes because there's also a part of me that thinks, oh, this will be one of the last movies that awards voting bodies will see this year. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, the colors in this just pop so much that I think that could help the costumes. I go back and forth. But, man, I got to say, and I got to reiterate this again. I know it's just going to be Critics' Choice and Golden Globe, and that's all she's going to have. And maybe Amy Adams does get BAFTA. Maybe someone else lands in the BAFTA lineup that hasn't been mentioned elsewhere uh, previously this season. I don't know, but I, I I can feel it in my bones. I think Day is going to get in. and I think so, too, because yeah. I love Amy. But if she were to get nominated at the Oscars, that's criminal. Then, then, then... It really looks like Taka. It's not even that, too. It's also the fact that, like, they're going to nominate her just to make her lose again. Because she ain't winning for this. Exactly. And it's a role <laughs> that she knows this is not her best role. Like, it's, right. it's, well, everyone knows it's not her yeah, best role. And, and, you know, <laughs> Everybody knows This movie is so, like, speaking of laboring, I mean, this is a laboring movie. And, mm-hmm. again, it's like I said, is we're going to have to, at some point, address this fact. That black women are giving great performances. Like my heart breaks for Nicole Bahari, who you oh. know, who also oh. has given an amazing performances. And what are we saying here? Like you, you, you don't have to. You have to have a better campaign than you do performance. Is that what the what the Academy Awards is basically wanting to send out year after year? And it's not just black women, like Latinas, Asian women. I mean, it's like. What the hell do these women have to freaking do? Like, do they have to fly someone out? Like, you know, like a Hollywood Foreign Press does? Do they have to give people $3,000 payola? Like, you know, like, you know, that's the way Pierre Sidora got her Ting Ting trophy. But it's just, it's, I mean, obviously I'm being facetious, but it's like, the question needs to be answered. What do these women have to do? Because clearly it's not giving a good performance. And having as many more um, people of color in the acting branch doesn't seem to be getting them over the hill. So what is the answer? Somebody's going to have to come up with the formula. Yeah, I know. I kept, yeah, I understand. I, I think like it's interesting because we have this conversation all the time at MBP when we have our weekly show and we talk about the Oscar campaigns. And I, I will fully admit there is a acceptance and complacency where like for us when we're discussing potential contenders and we look at someone like Nicole Bahari, uh, Josh, Dan, myself, a lot of us, we're all fans of hers in that movie, but we all like unanimously without even questioning it said, oh, Vertical Entertainment is the one that's, you know, putting that movie out. She has no shot at a, at a campaign, like no shot in hell. And we just kind of accept it and write it off and it is what it is. And I almost like equate it to real world political campaigns where you have a political candidate who just has all this campaign money and all this all these funds. And it's like, how can the little guy 
rise up to defeat a giant like that. And it's just so incredibly tough, even if you side with the the little the little guy or in this case, you know, the little movie that could the the actress who um, is giving this performance that not many people have seen, whatever it is. Yeah, you have people admitting main critics that work in mainstream outlets. Oh, I haven't seen the film. What the hell? Like, yeah, this is the stuff that burns me up. But these folks continuously get invited to these things and and they're very comfortable in their ignorance, do you know what I mean? And saying, I haven't seen stuff and people gave me shit. Well, I was like, you know what? That's your job. Especially mm-hmm. if you're working full time and you're getting a nice check and people are flying you all over the world in order for you to make these full assessments. And you are saying, I didn't see the film. Are we seriously still doing that in 2021? Well, speaking for myself, Dan and Josh here, I know the three of us, we see well over 200 films on a yearly basis, usually like, <sighs> and you, and you work another job. So what's this yeah. person excuse? That's your only job is to critique films, to talk about films, to write about films. That's it. You don't have another job. You don't have little kids at the house. Why are you not watching all the movies that are being sent to you? And even more importantly, you were at the damn festival where the movie premiered. So you really weren't trying to see the movie, but yet you are writing a, a column or you're writing a, 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 excuse me, a article about award season, not having seen all the people in play. That type of stuff really burns me up. And folks keep inviting these folks to things. And, and again, this is the stuff that I'm talking about. The playing field, it starts way before. And I totally get it that, you know, Netflix can throw $20 million out per film. Got it. But the same token, these things could hurt when people feel as though because the company that is distributing it doesn't have the bank. So therefore, why should I even invest? It's exactly what you said with the with the um, political campaign. This person may be, may be the most qualified, but they don't have that type of background. They don't, they're not cashing in that type of money. Think about it. If we if we use that type of analogy, we wouldn't have AOC. Yeah. Yep. Well, we can continue this conversation pretty much all day, and I'm sure we will continue to do so as the Oscar nominations come out. United States versus Billie Holiday is currently streaming on Hulu, so you can feel free to check it out for yourself and make your own assessment from there. Kafia, I really, really appreciate having you on today as a guest. I love what you brought to this conversation. Can you tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet? You can find me personally at Katia, K-A-T-H-I-A underscore Woods. I'm the same person on everything. And you can find most of my reviews at cupofsoulshow.com. Excellent. Dan Bear? You can find me on Twitter at DancingDanOnFilm. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of the United States versus Billy Holiday here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you are feeling generous, head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always. We shall see you all next time.
believe that was Leslie Jordan. <laughs> I think you knew that. You're like, yeah. that was unforgivable. I will grant you that. That yes. wig was really terrible, but like, wow. <laughs> Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.